The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. This is a podcast for Christians who want to do their most exceptional work, not for themselves, not for their own fame and fortune, but for the glory of God and the good of others. Every week, I host a conversation with a Christian who's pursuing world-class mastery of their craft. We talk about their path to mastery. We talk about their daily habits. And most importantly, we talk about how the gospel influences the work they do in the world. Today's guest is my friend, Zach Williams. He's the creator of The Untold, literally the only podcast I listen to on a regular basis. He's also the chairman of a company called Venvio, this digital agency that has about one client represented on every aisle of Lowe's and Home Depot. Zach and I recently sat down to talk about why growth and comfort cannot coexist, why Zach is grateful that the Lord has given him way more than he can handle in his life. And we talked about this little known story from Chick-fil-A that inspired me to be intentional about not growing my business. I think you guys are going to love this episode with my friend, Zach Williams. Zach Williams, my friend, finally, we have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Really excited to be here, Jordan. Long time listener. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> the best guest ever. So real quick, you and I were just hanging out in person in Tampa together. What did you think of Tampa? Because this is like your first time in the city or one of your first times in the city. What did you think of my hometown? So I spent a bunch of time in Tampa probably five years ago. That's right. Because you had a client here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And really, I mean, it was a cool city. And then I came back, you know, visited, saw you. It felt like a totally different town. Yeah. If you haven't been to Tampa in the last five years, you've never been to Tampa. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. I've walked away going like, this is a place I could totally see myself. Like very cool. Yeah. We're very proud of our city, especially these last five years. All right. So really excited to talk about The Untold, which PS is literally to quote Chris Traeger, literally the only podcast I listen to. But first, I feel like we got to talk about Venvio, right? This company you founded, you're now chairman of. So, so let's start with the basics real quick. What the heck is Venvio? Great question. So in 2007, I founded a marketing agency and called it Venvio, which is basically, I get asked all the time, like, what in the world does that even mean? It's basically the the root of two Latin words that means media that moves. And so we like to think that we create media and content that moves our clients in the direction we want to go. So I founded this agency in 07. And recently, I guess three months ago, stepped away from being CEO to a founder and chairman position. So there's a lot of backstory in all of that. But it's basically... you know What we do is we're primarily actually focused on the building products and construction space. So it's super niche, which I love. And I love the industry 
but it's really focused on companies that sell like in Lowe's and Home Depot, for example. Like my dad is like, he actually works at Lowe's and he's like, what in the world do you do? <laughs> I'm like, dad, if you walk down an aisle at Lowe's or Home Depot, there's a good chance I have a client on every aisle. And he goes, okay, well, what, what do you do for them? And then, then, then the conversation, <laughs> and then the conversation breaks down. He actually, he actually called me recently and he was like, Hey, I saw you, I saw you on the news today. And I was like, no, you didn't. He's like, no, no, I did. I, I saw Venmo. And I was like, dad, <laughs> dad, I wish I founded Venmo. Dad, if I founded Venmo, we'd be on an <laughs> island somewhere. <sighs> okay. So Venmo is not Venmo, yeah. but. It's a legitimate business. How many how many team members are you guys at now? Sixty ish. Uh, yeah, I think we're at sixty five. Last yeah. time I heard, it's it's really wild because I'm now in a position where I get like updates on like new people after it happens. Like I have no idea we're even recruiting, and which is really cool to to be in because you know for so long I was you know involved in every single hire and a part of that. But we're right above sixty people. We've got we're primarily remote. We've got an office in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is where we're. Headquarter, but we got people up and down the East Coast, the West Coast. We even got some team members in Central America and even Europe. So pretty dispersed, but you know, really have leaned into that since COVID, and it's worked out really well for us. So almost Venmo scale, almost Venmo. We're almost there within striking distance mm-hmm. of yeah. Venmo scale. All right, so really successful business, but far from an overnight success. I don't know if you're ready to talk about this publicly, but you're working on a book. I got to read a first draft because when you were in Tampa, we were at dinner. I demanded that you send me a first draft. So you literally pulled out your laptop at dinner and sent me the first draft. Uh, But I'm really enjoying reading the draft of this book and your story and just you describing how brutal some of those early years were. Uh, Because I think a lot of people are like, ah, man, all these success stories. Like, yeah, tell me like the good stuff, like the hard stuff. And I mean, there were many months in which you were confident you were closing this business down, right? Yeah. I used to say we were going out of business for five years. <laughs> like, like a that, business. Like, I run a business that's going out of business. I run a business that's going out of business. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me because I, I get to meet other agency owners and I'm like, man, how did they achieve success so quickly? Because now granted, I, I, I started the business like right out of college. So I'd worked for an agency or two and learned business from these different you know, agency owners. And a lot of them really brought me under their wing, which really helped me quite a bit. But I've struggled for longer than I've succeeded for in my career. Like, and by struggled, like that's a kind word. Like I've probably failed is probably a, a more correct interpretation. So we, we didn't really turn a profit, Jordan, until, gosh, I don't know, eight years in, something like that. You know, and like that's like, and I had like, I got married, had kids during that time, trying to make payroll. I actually, I don't know if I told you this. I tried to, I think in 2015, I tried to declare for bankruptcy. Did I tell you this? No. I tr- I tried to declare for bankruptcy because it was just so bad. I was like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, and then I found out that like the kind of debt I was in, like you can't really escape from all of it. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. And so I was like, shoot, like I've got to lean even harder into this and. That's where I hit my my crucible moment, my inflection point, you know, in my career. And so, you know, thankfully, I mean, we can talk about this or not talk about it, but it, that was the moment where things really started to turn. Where I was at like this ultimate low in 2015, and we leaned hard into our sales process, leaned hard into our niche, changed our changed our service offering, all in the matter of like a few months, and haven't looked back. So we were, gosh, four people at that moment, five people. Wow. 
That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize it was that small of a team. Yeah. So you have these big challenges at work. You also have challenges at home in and around this time, right? You had a daughter born with special needs, right? That's right. So right around this time, part of what, you know, I don't want to say added insult to injury, but which would add a lot of complexity to it was the business was really struggling. And, you know, obviously we're, we were struggling to make payroll, you know, and we, this has been, this has been my life for a while. And then my wife gave birth to our third child, Eliza, and she, and like, I think it was the first day, yeah, the first day in the hospital, she had to get rushed, rushed to the NICU at a different hospital. And we started to uncover that she has, you know, some global developmental delays, both physically and neurologically. And that was really difficult because my wife needed a ton of help. My daughter needed help. We didn't really, frankly, like we didn't even understand what was really going on. Like we talked to neurosurgeons to get MRIs and like all these different things. And swirling the background is like, oh gosh, I got to make payroll. Like, so I remember like there were times where like we couldn't stay overnight with our daughter because she was in the NICU. And like, I'm trying to hustle and make phone calls walking into the hospital. And my wife is like giving me a look. Like if any entrepreneur has been there, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know? And like, that was really, really difficult. And so we had all of these medical bills for her. The business was struggling. And I was like, Lord, like, have I like totally missed you in this moment? Like, what in the world am I even doing with my life? You know? So it was a, a pretty emotional time period for me. And I, I look back on it and I'm like, okay, Lord, like you were definitely there in the moment. But it was it was difficult, man. Like it was it was really really difficult. But you learn you learn more in those moments than you do in in the successes. You know. What did you learn about God and who you are as a child during that brutal period? You know, it's funny you ask that question. Like my wife asked me that recently too. She's like, "What did you learn from that moment? Like from that season?" And like I had a difficult time putting my finger on it. But for me, I, I think that you know, for the Lord. Like, it's cheesy to say like, like he is, he's there in it, but like he really is there in it. Like he really is in the moment, like the day by day. And I think for me personally, like we love to talk about perseverance, like as Christians, like we love like a sermon on perseverance. Right. But like walking through perseverance and like walking through that is a totally different ballgame, you know? And so I, I feel like I learned and was forced really if i'm honest with you to deal with a lot of you know issues with fear issues with really going after the things that i actually needed to attack because if i look back on it you know i think if i started that business today it'd be it'd be so much more successful today from the get go than if i did back then because as people we tend to avoid the things that make us feel uncomfortable because it's painful and like there were parts of my business that i subconsciously avoided because it was painful. So sales, for example, like now I love sales, but in the moment, like I would avoid that, which sounds ridiculous because you're like, you got to make money. But there are parts of my business I avoided because it was painful. And I was forced to reckon with those external things I need to deal with like sales or operations or whatever it might be, as well as the internal struggles of like, okay, I've got some real issues with fear. I've got some real issues with the idea of failure. And how do I grapple with those things? And so looking back, I really feel like the Lord was super intentional with me in that time period. Like it was not wasted time. It wasn't like I missed it. And I think we can oftentimes feel that when we're walking through a season where things are so challenging. We're like, Lord, I'm totally missing it because I'm not succeeding. But to him, it's like, you know, we're, we're right on track. Like I was right on track 
with where I need to be. I was learning the things and cultivating healing in the areas of my th- life that I really needed to so that I could handle success. And that's, that's hard to see in the moment. Like It's easy to see now, but it's hard to see in the moment because you're just living day by day. And oftentimes, I think the Lord uses failure. I know this has been true in my life to reveal idols, right? To end up, frankly, just like tear them down oh, yeah. in our hearts, right? So that we can quote unquote succeed. I, I don't think God's interested necessarily in our success, but so that when we do, we can do it in a way that assigns glory to him and isn't a means of glorifying ourselves. Well, you're, you're hundred percent correct. I think the other thing too, is the perspective. Like I think if I would have achieved success more quickly in my business than I did, I think I probably would have taken a lot more credit for it. Yeah. Personally. Like I, yeah. And like, now I'm like, like, like the Lord, like it's a hundred percent him. Now great. I had to show up. You got to show up to the, you know, yeah. get in the ring. But like the way he orchestrated it was really, I mean, to me thinking about it, it's really beautiful. Like how he does stuff like that. Would you say because of that, you're thankful for the failure of the business early on? Oh, it's a good question. Yeah, I think you have to. It gives you context, you know? It totally gives you context. Like I I can look back to those moments and go, like really two things. You know what it feels like to struggle so you can empathize with people. But it also gives you context relationally with the Lord and where you are and where he's brought you. And like that's like that's like the eternal stuff. Yeah. Like the, that's the eternal relationship component with him that I'll I'll always have. Like looking back through my journals and just like pouring my heart out to him. Mm. Like that's, I always say like, that's the gold of heaven right there. Cause like those are the moments where, you know, the rubber really meets the road in, in your relationship. Like, do you really believe he says he's going to provide? Do you really believe he's going to do it? You know? Yeah. He says he's with you. Do you really believe it? Paul says in first Corinthians nine thirteen, he says that God quote, will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But a lot of Christians have twisted that verse to peddle this, just this unbiblical lie that God won't give you more than you can handle, right? And that's just bogus. Right? And even Paul says this explicitly, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, where he says, uh, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, right? Like, yeah, that was you. Yeah. You had circumstances that were far more than your ability to handle it. But because of that, you were forced to assign glory to God when you came out of it, right? A hundred percent. I mean, growth and comfort cannot coexist. And that's true in business and that's true in relationships. And yeah, I I have to. I have to give him glory. But I think to him, like between him and me, like I look at our personal relationship like, of course, I give him the glory, but I also, I'm like, I feel like, you know, like, you know, like on a sports team, Jordan, or like, let's say you've gone through something with somebody, like that camaraderie you build with somebody that you've walked through, like your spouse, for example, of course I give him glory, but it's like, also like you kind of, when you look at him like a friend, you're like, you know, Hey, like that was, we did that together. Yeah. And that's hard to describe with words, but it's, it just adds like such great, I, like I, I say beauty, but it adds like a beautiful component to our relationship that I'm like, Lord, we like, we did that together. Like you really 
walked me through that together. Yeah. And if you did it then, like you'll, you can do it again. Like that's, that's why I say it's, it's so like immeasurably invaluable. Well, yeah, redemption's far more beautiful when you've seen darkness. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're coming from darkness to light, right? Here's what's interesting to me, man. You've had plenty of things to legitimately fear in your life. For frankly, like way more than I've had to fear. And yet you're you and I know each other pretty well. You're one of the most fearless people I know. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's rooted in these years of hardship and just being forced to rely on the Lord and see him prove faithful? Like what, what's the source of that fearlessness? Oh gosh. I, my wife would say it's obliviousness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it has to. Like my personal take is on like being an entrepreneur, for example, like I'm sure a large part of your, your listeners are entrepreneurs and those in business. Like I look at people who don't know the Lord and that run a business. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. Yes. You're absolutely crazy. I've said this a hundred times. It's, it's insane. Like, I don't know how you're, I, don't, I really don't know how you do it. Like for me, I don't know if I'm necessarily very brave, Jordan. And like, here's, and this, I'm not saying this, this, hopefully this, this doesn't come across conceited. Like, yeah, I'm not necessarily very brave. I just, I try to get like really close to the Lord and I try to really hear what he's saying. And I feel confident in his ability to speak. And I feel confident in his ability to lead. And if I feel like he's telling me and I know he's telling me to do something, I'm confident in that. And I'm confident that even if I miss it and I make a mistake, his ability to overcome that mistake is much greater than my ability to make a mistake. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Totally. You know, and so my, my DNA, my makeup, yeah, like absolutely. Like I like to take risks. I am not necessarily afraid of that. I find that as an adventure with the Lord. But I find that that tendency, if I'm not close to him, can turn very quickly into like the wrong motive in the wrong like frankly, it's instead of faith, it becomes fear for me. I mean, I make decisions out of fear. And I think because I, I know this is like a core theme of this this book you're working on. I think you should borrow Taylor Swift's title and just call this fearless. I think that's ooh a necessary move. This is an excuse for me to talk about Taylor. You think she'd write my preface? Hey, I don't know. We can find out. Uh, if you tell an untold story about her, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. in just a minute. But listen, you just turned over the reins to this company that you ran for, I don't know, how long? 13 years, something Yeah, like 13, that. 14 years, somewhere there. Yeah. There had to have been fear in that, right? Like there, there's just some level, like you never had anybody else run the business day to day. I, I've been in that position before of turning over the reins of CEO. What did you learn through that process? What were some spiritual lessons that you took away from, from that transition? Well, I, I think if we start at why I made the transition, I think it's, it's helpful I, context. I, I made the transition not because I was burnt out of the business or because I didn't like it anymore. Like You see a lot of people leave because of that reason. For me, I did it in, in large part because I'm, my makeup is very much in like the zero to one like Peter Thiel. Yeah, me too. Like I like getting things off the ground. Yeah. And so I, f I started to see my tendencies as an entrepreneur were actually impacting the business and the further growth of it. And so when I started to look at where does the business need to go and am I the right leader, I, I started to do some self-evaluation and the Lord really pushed me into this and, and going, no, like I'm not, I'm not the best right leader for where the business is right now. And so that's where I had to position it as I'm stewarding the ownership of this 
And I feel a large responsibility to the people in the organization and my team. And I felt like that's why the transition was needed. But to answer your question about was I afraid? I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, I feel like I just really trust my executive team and I trust my leadership team so much that I'm like, you guys are going to do great. Like this doesn't mean you're not going to be, it's not going to be hard, but I'm also not like at arm's length with them. Like I see them, I meet you know, with them on a regular basis. There are things that they do that I wouldn't do. And I have to be comfortable with that because I can't, I can't CEO, you know, what is it? Armchair quarterback, whatever the, the yeah, I can't, I can't do that. But it, yeah, I, I feel like there are times where, I mean, when things are great, you're like, oh, I'm not afraid at all. And like things are challenging. You're like, did I make a mistake? Am I afraid of that? And I really trust my team a lot, Jordan. And so I, it's, for me, it's kind of like your relationship with the Lord. You build up such trust in those relationships that it really helps in those situations where you've got to establish courage and really bring in faith. Like I think of that verse, love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. I would also say that like love covers a multitude of fears. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, and so I, I have such trust and love for the individuals in my organization that like I have seen them operate for so long that I know that they're going to do very, very well. I think there's an analogy here with the way you thought about your transition. And it's almost identical to how I thought about transitioning from CEO to chairman of threshold. And, and the argument was basically hey, I'm a zero to one type entrepreneur. I like starting things. I like going from zero to one. I don't necessarily love going from one to 1.1 to 1.2 in marginal growth, right? Like I don't like managing that. And so I'm no longer the best person to occupy the CEO chair. And it's really a decision that prioritizes the mission of the organization over you personally occupying any one role, right? The mission takes precedence. And I think this is a beautiful analogy for the church, right? Yeah. The mission of the church is advancing the kingdom of God. And we should all be looking at how God has uniquely wired us to say, what role have I been called to fill in that mission? Not trying to, you know, you know, work ourselves into some other role that we want to have or that we think is more attractive or that we think is that other people are, are telling us is most needed. Just be like, okay, how has God designed me? Right. And what small role can I play in advancing that bigger mission? I don't know. Is that analogy lining up for you? And in-, in business, a hundred percent. Like I talk about this a lot, if I'm really real, like we get, we get approached, a lot of companies get approached to get acquired. Like I, I have zero appetite for that because I feel like part of what I've been able to help create, and I'll give a lot of kudos to my wife too and my team, is like an environment that is really conducive to helping people foster and grow their personal career as well as their lives individually in a like a really safe environment. And like that sounds really great to say out loud, but like unless you live it, like you live that culture, like it's very refreshing to people. And for me, like, I feel like that's a part of my mission as an individual with the Lord is I want to empower other people to grow themselves. Like that's part of why I was excited about this transition is like, I want to see the individuals of my team grow, you know, and I want to, I want to allow them to stretch their wings and be uncomfortable without me being the CEO. Like that's a part of it. So absolutely 100%. Yeah. What do you think is different about the culture of Venvio because of 
your relationship with the Lord? I mean, I think you just hit on one of them, right? Like you're thinking about how can I serve and develop these people and help them grow? But like, what else do you think is distinct about the organization because of your faith? I'm going to struggle answering that because I only can look at things from the perspective of my relationship. And so it's hard for me to kind of detach that. But I think that actually is a good answer. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I I like to, well, I'll say this, like I'll, I can tell you what people say that's really unique. Like I had a person on our team. I don't interface with them a ton, but they sent me a note like the first couple months of them working here, maybe six months in. And they were like, Hey, I want you to know that I've been looking for Venvio for years. Hmm. And my, they're like, my parents didn't think I was ever going to be able to find it. And they're like, I am so, so grateful for like what you've built. And like that really touched me. And like, yeah. I really, I mean, like that was obviously a very emotional moment for me. But I, I think it's the big thing for us is like, we, we, ri- we encourage risk a lot. We encourage it a lot. And I think that, and we encourage autonomy in that. To some people, like people don't want that. Some people are like, I don't want that. Like it's, it very, it turns people off. But to a lot of people, it's very empowering. Like personally, I always view, and I feel like this could be a, a book on its own, but like I've always viewed the health of an organization can be boiled down to how free do people feel that they can take risk in an organization? Because if you feel like you can take risk, that means you feel like your team trusts you. It makes you, it makes you know that they have your back. It helps you know that you've got a vision for the where the organization needs to go. And so we we always try to look at, well, why is that person not risking or why is that person risking? And that helps us give a pretty good indicator of the health of an organization and how we're doing at coaching our team, as well as you know delivering the vision of the organization. I want to come back to this idea of, of risk in a second, but I, want to, I just want to make an observation about something that you just said. This, this woman writing you this letter. Uh-huh. Saying, I found in Venvio something I've been looking for for a long time. Man, it's so beautiful because really what she's saying is like, I have found a home, yeah. like a professional home. I feel safe here. I feel, I mean, I don't know exactly what that person was looking for, but that's what we're all looking for, right? I feel safe. I feel loved. I feel cared for. And that is quote unquote kingdom work. You're making another person feel loved and appreciated and accepted. Um, it's beautiful. Like I, that's important stuff. I ask you this, Jordan, like why do we, and this is, I mean, I don't think there's anyone right answer for this, but like, why do we follow the Lord? Like, what is it about how the Lord treats us that makes us want to follow him? It's unconditional love, right? It, it, it's secure. It's only in the Lord that we find the verdict for our lives outside of the performance. I mean, that's the main reason why I'm, I'm following the Lord and apprenticing myself to him. And I think, you know, in business, like what I tell people is I'm like, you know, people will want to follow you if they know that you care about them as much, if not more than they care about themselves. Yeah. You know, and I feel like the Lord is like that too. And like, he's, you know, really modeled that for us. Like, I don't think leadership, leadership is, is hard but simple, you know. It's like, hey, yeah. you gotta, you gotta care about these people more, <laughs> more than you care about yourself, and more than they maybe even care about themselves. And and that's that's easy to say, but at times hard to walk out because, you know, what that looks like sometimes. Jordan, like we talk, I talked to you know our head of org development recently. It's like sometimes we give people too much. Uh, you could argue too much opportunity to risk, and then they mess up, and we got to own it. But like, you can't have. You can't have it both ways, you know? You're an exceptional leader. 
and, and I, I think one thing exceptional leaders do well, which you've already touched on is, yeah, they create a culture in which risk is encouraged. And I think part of that requires the leaders themselves owning up to failures when there has been risk, right? You, you, oh, yeah. you just got to be transparent about that. So how have you guys done that at Venvio, right? You, you talked about failures publicly in an effort to incentivize and encourage more risk. It's a good question. I, I don't know. I was t- actually talking to Joey Gilkey, who you know yeah. um, about this recently. Is he, he was sharing with me some like, you know, maybe some failures he'd walk through and he told me he was like embarrassed about it or something. And I was like, you know, dude, like the thing about failures is it really humanizes you as an individual. Yeah. And, and people really respect that more and they're willing to, they're willing to take risks and also relate to you and open up to you because you're not some far off distant person. I mean, Jordan, like this is one thing I love about you. Like you'll be like, Hey, I did this. This is really great. But also like, I totally messed this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like that, like that is what people need. They need, they need to see where they, people have messed up as well, because that's what creates trust. Like you doing really, really good job all the time actually makes people afraid because they're like, I'll never live up to that. You know? Yeah. Somebody told me early in my career, Jordan will be successful at whatever he does. And I, I, I understand the sentiment. You know, I appreciate the compliment, but I actually cringed a little bit. Right, because to me that meant like Jordan doesn't take big enough swings, or Ooh. Jordan's just not honest about his failures. Right, when he does risk and fail, I don't know. It was like weird that that stung me that way, but it did. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, so were you? If I hear that, like, oh, Jordan is you know going to be successful whatever he does. Obviously, that person has confidence in you. Yeah, like yeah. that would make that would make me cringe because I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. Well, did this person think I never fail because I fail all the time. <laughs> right, like, right. Exactly. I, I fail a ton. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's how I felt. So you, you stepped aside as CEO of Venvio, and you've been spending a lot of time on this new project that I love called The Untold. What's The Untold, Zach? So The Untold is a, you know, really what it is is a, a collection of stories that we found in business. Really, it's, you know, let's say figures, businesses, companies, where it might be that you're very familiar with. But we start to peel back the curtain and find, well, how did that person achieve success? Or what is the unknown or untold part of that story? And why does that relate to, or how does that relate to the individual? So it's it's very focused on business, very focused on entrepreneurship. But what we're trying to do is is find the color and find the as you will, untold stories around these very widely known concepts. So for example, Jordan, there's a there's one we stole from you where you tell the story of Chick-fil-A. Yes. Can you tell... All right. Can you tell us? Because I, I wrote about this in... I think it was called The Create. But man, I haven't even read that story in like five years. Share that story with our listeners. Yeah. So it's the, you know, I think the late, you know, mid, late 90s yeah. in Atlanta. Sounds about right. Yeah. And the entire executive team of, or most of the executive team from Chick-fil-A is gathered into a boardroom and everybody is freaking out because their main competitor, uh, who's now Boston market is just blowing up. And which is all, so funny to talk about yeah, in retrospect. It's, yeah. Yes. I mean, look at, I was the last time you went to a Boston market in, in the nineties in the mid nineties yeah, when they're right, talking exactly, about this. Like, right. yeah, they're, they're blowing up and 
everyone's arguing about what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? They're getting bigger than us. They're growing faster than us. They're eating our lunch, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's arguing and everyone's talking about how they need to grow more quickly. And then Truett Cathy, who's the founder of Chick-fil-A, famously starts banging his fist on the table. Everybody gets silent. <laughs> and he goes, and I, I don't want to butcher this quote, but he says, he says, if we get better, our customers' demand will get bigger. Basically, like who cares about growth? Let's just make the best possible you know, chicken, fast food chain out there, and then we'll get bigger. And that's what they did. And that's why, I mean, I actually, I was just researching this, this story yesterday again, Jordan, and you know, Chick-fil-A, there's two really interesting, actually, I'm going to pull this up, make sure I have this correct. Chick-fil-A is the fastest growing franchise out there. And it also a store, an individual Chick-fil-A store makes more money than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined. That's bonkers. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm gonna send, cite I'm gonna, your sources. I'm gonna sir. Sign, I'm gonna find it. I'll find. I'll that's fi- crazy gonna, if that's yeah. true. I mean, I know, I know the stores print money, but man, that's unbelievable. All right, so let me ask you a follow up question because again, the whole point of the untold is telling these untold stories so that people could take away these keys to mastering their craft and specifically the art of business. And this one tells such a powerful lesson, right? Like better before bigger, better before bigger. But as a founder yourself, like how have you done this practically? Like how do you ensure that you're getting better? Uh, frankly, I think it has to be as you're getting bigger, right? Because businesses grow by nature. So how do you manage that tension between better and bigger? Oh man, I I don't know. I don't think I have it figured out. <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, the, the this is something is, I've like genuinely struggled with over the oh, years. I, I think if you boil it down, like if you take the Chick Fil A example, like. If you're doing such a good job, more people are going to come to you. More people are going to tell, you know, talk about you and your customers are going to ask for more. If you're having to fight for that a lot and you're seeing churn, for example, in, in our industry, like agency industry, that's a really good indicator. And so I, I think boiling down that quality, like what is the best leading indicator of quality yeah. in your organization is how you do it. So for us, it'd be, you know, it's, hey, referrals and client, and client renewals. If we have referrals and we have client renewals, we know our quality is really good. People are seeking us out, you know, like that to us tells us that our, you know, our quality is where it needs to be and we can grow. Um, now, Grant, you can look at things like pipeline and things like that, but I think boiling it down to make it really simple is the best. Yeah, that, but this is really good and really practical. It's getting really clear on what those metrics are that are leading indicators of quality. Right. So, yeah, for you guys, it's retention, it's referrals. For me, as an author who primarily sells books through my email list, it's open rates on my weekly devotional, right? Uh Like, that's what I measure, right? Every week, week in, week out. Yeah. And it's interesting for for me, I I really, um, it's funny, maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago, something like that, um, I really felt convicted of this very topic, better before bigger. And so my team and I, we went an entire quarter where we set zero goals related to growth, right? So we grew, like the podcast audience grew, my email list grew, whatever, but we weren't intentional about it. It was all about getting better before we get bigger. So it was measuring customer satisfaction, measuring open rates, and measuring Amazon reviews and like whatever. Uh, and that was a game changer 
for us. That's when things really started to take off at a greater at a greater so scale. So right. talk me yeah, talk me ahead. through it more. Did you so you just focused solely on quality or what yeah. what did what did what does look like? Yeah. So for me it was open rates of my devotional emails, uh-huh. ratings of the Uversion Bible app plans that I published during that three month period. It was Number of people showing up for some of our paid products, like the calls that we have with our paid products, like the Redeeming Your Time coaching community, which we were starting at the time. Yeah, it was like that type of stuff. It was engagement. It was quality stuff. uh, But it was not, you know, grow the email list by 25% or get 10,000 new people listening to the podcast. Like there was nothing like that in the mix that my team was focused on for those three months. So what did you walk away with? Like, was there any strategy or takeaway that you got from that? I love that the interview has shifted. I know. I'm, well, I'm just, I'm most, <laughs> that's what people want to know. They want. They, I mean, show, show us how this thing works, man. Wait. So, what was your question? So, so if you had to look at that season, like, is there one thing you walked away with, and you said, "Hey, like that was like we do this every day now because of that season." We got obsessive about open rates on emails, but the biggest takeaway was there are seasons in a business where focusing exclusively on quality and getting better could be a really wise decision, right? Like it just because that laser-like focus and just being intentional and seeing something so radical, like saying we're not, we're going to be intentional about not growing this quarter. That's a radical thing to say in a business, but it elevates everybody's understanding of the importance of quality and just getting better. Uh, at the things that we already have. So I don't know, like I really liked it. We haven't, we haven't done it since then because honestly that one quarter's worth of work has had an impact for a really long time, but we'll probably do it again. Like if, if we ever see quality starting to slip again, uh, really significantly, I'll make that call again and get us all focused on quality for an into at least an entire quarter. So oh, yeah. I'm all right, wait, well, hang on a second. I'm flipping okay. the mic back to you. I'm not okay, letting okay, you do okay. this. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just such a fanboy. I know, I know, and vice versa. So, <laughs> give me, give me one more Tory story from the untold that illustrates a key to mastering our vocations. What, what's what's another one of your favorite stories you've told? Oh man, there's a bunch. Um, well, if we stay on the topic of culture, I'm telling. Uh, I did one long form, and most of our content is on YouTube. We've got short form on like Instagram and things like that, and we've got a website that you can you can check it out called at theuntold.com, but. I'm trying to lean more into long form because I think you can dissect and really uncover stories better. I did one on Zappos, which I know you're a big fan of, yeah. and Tony Shea, and how they built this crazy cool culture um, where they basically try to they give people the opportunity to quit and they pay them money. But there's a lot behind. Well, why did he? Why did he try that? Or wh- how did he? Uh, you know, come to the idea of like building such an incredible culture for this like e-commerce company before that was like really such a thing. But for me. He saw, and the thing I took away from the story is, you know, you hear and you're like, oh, well, you know, Zappos pays its employees to quit. Like, that's the headline. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. That's really interesting. I want to learn more. But his backstory is he started and found, founded a company in the 90s, made like hundreds of millions of dollars, but hated his job. And like, that's why he sold the company. It wasn't that he wanted to sell one a bunch of money. He just hated the, the culture. And so he took Zappos and he wanted to build a culture at, basically on after his own image where... People love to work. They love what they do. And what he saw was that if people really enjoyed their job, the quality of output, so back to that quality component, 
you know, increased exponentially. And so for me, I always care a lot about like, hey, do people really enjoy their job? Like, you know, at the end of the day, do they like their employee, their coworkers, which we measure that? And do they enjoy what they do today today? Because if they do, then we know our clients are going to be happy. We know the quality of work is going to be really good. We know that other people are going to enjoy their job. And it's like this snowball effect. And so we don't necessarily pay people to quit, but we too care quite a bit about making sure we've got the right people in the organization. I love the Zappos story. Oh, yeah. Did you read Delivering Happiness? I, you know, I haven't read It's on my list. I haven't, I haven't read it. Everyone quotes that book. Yeah, it's kind of old, right? It's probably 12 years old now, but it's a classic for a reason. I don't know if I told you this story, but years ago when I was running this business called Citizen Investor, me and my co-founder got to spend like an entire day with Tony and his team, Tony Shea and his team. Oh, what was that like? In Tony's apartment in Vegas. It was, it was wild. Surreal. It was surreal. It was incredible. I mean, he was only in there for like, you know, five minutes, like whatever. But yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. But what was cool, we got to tour Zappos. They talked us through their like culture book, whatever, because we were just really studying like how to great companies build great cultures. And man, they've figured it out for, for a type of business that's really customer service focused, right? It doesn't yes. you know, translate perfectly to every type of business. But if you're super interested in company culture, that book is actually still a really good resource, um, Delivering Happiness. All right. Speaking of books, good, good segue. Ooh. Three questions I wrap up every conversation with. Number one, which books do you tend to recommend or gift most frequently to others, Zach? So last year, the book I gave out the most to m- the most people was this wonderful book called Redeeming Your Time. Nah, stop. I did. Actually, I promise you I did. It was the number one book I gave out. That's awesome. Second to that was uh, Ride of a Lifetime by Bob Iger. Oh, so good. Oh my gosh. Phenomenal <laughs> book. So good. I'm reading this book. I mean, the book is... It's a great story. Excellent story. But there's so many like little nuggets of business insight in there. Like, all, the the second half of the book is basically an education acquisition. Yeah. Like how he viewed Every that. chapter, how Disney acquired Marvel, how Disney acquired Lucasfilms, how Disney acquired all these other brands. It's it's amazing. Yes. I love that one. I'm also, I, I love Deep Work. Yeah. Such a, such a good, I'm by Cal Newport, who you, you always recommended that book to me before I started reading it. And um such such a good book. I would, I'd say those two or three are really good. I mean, those are good. Yeah, they're good. And didn't I send you down the Disney book trail? Didn't you read Disney War? I yeah, Disney War for for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Disney War is a book written was in the ni- late ni- no early two thousands. Early two right? thousands, yeah. Basically, catalogs not Iger. What's his name? Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner. Thank you. His career, but it's like an encyclopedia. So for perspective, if you look at Bob Iger's book on. Audible. It's like six or seven hours, something like that. Don't quote me on it. Yeah. Disney Wars is no joke, 25 hours. It's crazy. It's but absurd. But it is so well-written. If you want a biography of the Walt Disney Corporation from really in the heyday, like when Disney got massive, it's, it's 1984, 2004. That's Eisner's tenure. Go read this book. It's so good. And then go read Bob Iger's book because Iger took over for Eisner right? It's it's kind of the passing the baton of the books. It's really good. All right, Zach, who do you want to hear on this podcast talking about how their faith influences their pursuit of great work? Great question. I want to give you a good answer. Yeah. 
Like, can I stream big? Like, is there, is this a matter? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've gotten some, some big ones out of I this. I mean, question. I would, I mean, this is controversial. Like, I, I'm always like, let me hear a controversial top. Yeah, yeah. Person. Oh, yeah. But if you could get somebody like, let's say you got Bono. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I'd like to hear Mel Gibson. Interestingly, I don't know if you knew this, but the most pirated film ever is The Passion of the Christ. Really? Yeah. I heard that from somebody. I'll, I'll find you the source on it too, but. Isn't that interesting? I mean, those are people I'd love to hear from, like their perspective on on faith. I like I like the Bono answer. I'm not sure we've gotten it before. I was just listening to Joshua Tree the other day, U2's, I think, most famous album, one of the greatest albums it's of great. all time. Yeah, phenomenal. And man, there's some deeply spiritual lyrics in this album. Like he is really wrestling with the gospel oh yeah in the album so that would be a ton of fun all right last question pick one thing from our conversation today do you want to reiterate to our listeners before we sign off i would say that regardless of where you are in your journey with the lord i think he cares more about your dreams than than you do we tend to feel like we have to convince the lord to give us our dreams and give us the things we want but i think the reality is He cares about them much more than we do. And when we have that perspective, we move more to partnership. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? I don't want to make broad, you know, accusations, but I think, you know, Christians as a whole, we have like such an incredible resource, (laughs) which is the Lord, you know, in our journey and his perspective, his power, his insight is immeasurable. Like you can't even compare it to anything. But I think sometimes we feel we have like a lack mindset around like, oh, well, I got to convince the Lord to do these things for me and I need him on board to make this thing happen. And I think for me, if I you know peel back my story a bit, I've, I've walked through that a lot where I was like, Lord, why aren't you helping me here? And knowing that he does deeply care about what I'm walking through more than I do, like will change the perspective of, well, if you're walking through something difficult, you know, not only is he there with you in it, but his perspective is there's something, some piece of gold or some nugget that you're gleaning and you're getting from this moment that's going to help you when you achieve success or you achieve that next thing or whatever it might be. That's good. Or achieve failure, right? Yeah. I think it's the one thing we forgive on the church. Success isn't promised us. Romans 8.28 does not mean that something better is around the corner, but what is in store is Romans 8.29, our sanctification, God using all things for our good, which is conforming to the image of his son. Zach, I want to commend you for the exceptional work you do every day, serving your team, your customers, your family through the ministry of excellence. And just thank you for the reminder of the call on each Christ follower to do their work well, but to do their work with God in communion with him, relying on him so that we can have greater fearlessness in the world today. Guys, if you want to learn more about Zach and his new project, The Untold, you can learn more at theuntold.com. Zach, thanks for being here. Awesome, Jordan. Thank you again for having me on the show and thank you for doing the show. Thank you for all you do. It's awesome, super helpful, beneficial to, to myself and I'm sure to a ton of your listeners out there as well. Thanks, brother. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Seriously, go check out The Untold on YouTube 
TikTok, Instagram, wherever. I love the content Zach's putting out. I like to say five-star content. It is 10-star content. It's so good. Hey, if you're enjoying this show, The Call to Mastery, do me a huge favor. Go take 30 seconds and rate the podcast on a scale of one to five stars, whatever you think is fair, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you rate your podcasts. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week.